Hello and welcome to the Taylor's Tales podcast. This is Chris's Corner. I'm your host, Chris Taylor, and we're back this week with a brand new podcast, the History Podcast. I'm continuing the theme, and we're going to be looking into specifically a brand new era. I know I'm skipping between areas. We're going from Russia to Japan. It's almost looked like I'm, I'm just going all over the place. It's crazy chaos at the moment, you know. Uh, you know, we're, we're looking at uh, the Crusades and specifically within the Crusades, the Templars. Uh, and I, I find this group and this period of history fascinating because it offers such a two sides to the story and yet at the same time both sides seem to be fighting for the same thing both fighting on you know let's start with what the crusades are what are the crusades the crusades were wars in the 11th 12th and 13th century specifically between 1096 ad to around i want to say yeah 1296 no 12 12 1200 i'm getting my numbers right anyway like it was the the end of the the beginning of the the 13th century the uh beginning of the 11th century and the crusades were religious wars that were there to basically proclaim holy land in the name of both christian faith muslim faith and um, I believe at the time, even the Holy Roman Empire that was fading away was also being uh, proclaimed at the beginning of the, the Crusades. So starting off from there, we have why were the Crusades started in the first place? And the main reason they were started was because the Roman Empire was fading away and the Roman Empire that was left was the Byzantine Empire which was basically the remnants of the Roman Empire's power within Constantinople and the epicenter of what was considered at the time the trade center of the world. Uh, and the idea was that you were going to have, um, if you had control of Constantinople, you had the control of the whole of Eastern Europe, basically, um, because of the ability to trade and the ability to control the port itself that had entry into both Europe and into Eastern Europe uh, and Asia for that matter. And from there, the Byzantine emperor at the time, I believe, Alec I want to say, is it Alexander or is it, I think it's, I want to say Alexius, Alexius the first, who goes to the Pope at the beginning of the 11th century he says he says to the pope pope i need your help i am in a conundrum with the turks at the moment i'm currently fighting them off i want my land back give me my land back i want my holy land and i need your help doing so and so at the time the sort of western powers of europe were beginning to grow you had what was known at the time as Francia slash France that was up and coming. You had Britain, you had the Germanic powers that were sort of, they were, Germany wasn't a place at the moment and neither, neither was most of uh, the countries we know nowadays in, uh, in, in Western Europe. 
but they were like there were major kings and kingdoms that the pope had control over through catholicism at the time and this included basically britain france and parts of germany and uh, basically southern slash western europe and the pope i believe i want to say yeah i think it was yeah the pope i've got it written down here somewhere in my notes uh the da, 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 da. yeah the pope called the western christians to take up arms to aid up the byzantines and recapture the holy land from muslim control so that was it that it wasn't just the turks i want i said the turks earlier what i meant was muslim see when i say muslim that was the religion but the people themselves were a mixture of of northern african and middle eastern so saying muslim was the faith but the actual peoples themselves were located throughout northern africa and sort of the middle east and even the middle east doesn't really narrow it down it's it's, it's closer to europe than it is to uh the far east itself aka the middle east i know i'm not specifying it down because there's so many countries jerusalem was at the time the holy land that we're talking about here by the way if i haven't haven't specified that um we are going all over the place at the moment but the crusades were it was a dark time it's a dark time where religion was purely the only way to basically control the rabble and to pro proclaim god's will over man and say that this is the way and this you know god wills it as they say in kingdom of heaven fantastic movie and i will be referencing it to, through it throughout this because when i first came into sort of knowledge of cr the crusades the templars it was through video games and it was through um small you know cartoons from when i was younger i think i remember watching robin hood at some point and the mentioning of the crusades by richard the third the lion heart um, and I think we all get these little snippets of history through, um, if you haven't studied the, the historical events at the time, through alternative resources, alternative like areas, even if, you know, Assassin's Creed, the video game that it's not, a, you know, it's not <laughs> a reliable resource, but it's, it's there, you know, it gives you some inkling into the, and specifically the third crusade, even though there's eight expeditions in total to the Holy Land and back, it's really three crusades that, that most people zone in on. Um, and they happen around, um, I, I want to say 50 years in between each and the last the third one is the longest believe, uh, believed to be around 70 years in duration from the I think it's yeah I've got I think I've got it written down 120 yeah 1208 all the way up until um, did I just say 70 years it's probably like 17 years what am I talking about crazy yeah so tw 27 but at the time I think it was Richard the Lionheart who was in the final crusade um, and his name gets thrown around a lot relating to all of them. So, you know, to specify it a little bit, it's the third crusade that he's um, a part of. The Templars themselves, uh, they were, they weren't really a part of the first crusade. They were mainly part of the second and they were starting to lose their power in the third purely because um, they weren't really invented uh, as a group until around, I want to say, 
1100, yeah, 1100 around that time, AD. So, yeah, let's get into some specifics. I've got it in my notes here on, on the left. Um, yeah, at the time of the 11th century, Western Europe was coming into power. I've said this. Um, in November of uh, 1095, the Council of Clermont in southern France was called, and I said the Western Europe was, was rallied, uh, and the Crusade set the stage for several religious uh, knightly military orders, including the Knights Templar, the Teutonic Knights. I've not said that right. It's probably, yeah, Teutonic? Teutonic Knights? <laughs> and the hospital uh, hospitaliers who were specifically a truly, I'm pretty sure there was very minimum knights and majority were um, religious sort of, I want to say friars and tucks and stuff like that. They, they were um, men of God. Not saying that the Templars weren't, because we'll get into that in a bit, in the sense that the majority of the Templars were not actually fight a fighting order. Um, and that's one thing that gets confused. And I, you know, I, before this, like I said, I didn't really know a lot about the Templars until this point. There's a, there's a lot of mystery around them, you know? Templars, ooh, they still live out today. It's like it's like the idea of um, oh, what was the, what's the group um, called in that that everyone thinks controls the world? I think it's um, <laughs> it's the Great Eye, isn't it, in the pyramid? And uh, it will come to me in a minute. But moving on from there, like the, the, these shadow groups, these groups that apparently control the world through power and banking and everything like that and money and resources. And don't get me wrong, we do realise within this um, sort of region that the Templars do gain a lot of power through financial part with financial advising, financial obtaining, financial resources, um, being able to hold people accountable for the first time ever in history, basically. Uh, and, and that's fascinating to know. I'm, I'm going to keep saying that word because it, to, to me, it really is. The ability to purely function in a time where a man can cut another man down in the name of God or in the name of anyone that would basically put him in the right uh, and at the time, if they were a lord or of higher class, would get away with murder and it would not even, people wouldn't even flinch. So to be able to hold an order that is able to hold people accountable financially and also through land and sort of possession, it's, and to have lasted uh, this that period of time between 1100 to around 1300 is fascinating, even after the Crusades end. So... So who are who are the Knights Templar? Well, I've I've gone into a, a few bits of an overview, but the the real thing about the Knights Templar are that they are a religious group of men originally, who were formed because uh, sort of I want to say pilgrims, pilgrims who go to who want to visit the Holy Land. It's been captured by in the First Crusade, as I said earlier. The knights aren't formed until the 1100, and from there they sort of they formed to be able to protect the pilgrim road, the passage to be able to get to the Holy Land, to be able to get to Jerusalem, and it's because the sort of the Muslim army or the army of the non-Christians uh, 
basically attack these pilgrims. Now we don't, you know, we, we can't say that every time in history that this is necessarily true because it's written record by the victors at the end of the day, which is in most, in, in a lot of the cases, uh, Salahuddin doesn't necessarily get a lot of words in edgeways for historical record down the line. And if we look at it from the point of view of the Christian faith, there is the idea of um, blasphemy and sort of that these were heretics and devils and devil worshippers because they didn't believe in the same thing as they did. Ironically, Muslim and Christian and all of these religions are one in the same because of their beliefs and their rules. However, at the time, that was not the case and men were not so level headed in their analysis of religion. And it was purely based off a hierarchy of who was closer to God and knew what he was saying, basically. And it was a he at that time. I can tell you that now. Um, yeah. So after uh, Christian armies captured Jerusalem from the Muslims control in 1099 during the Crusades, groups of pilgrims from across Western Europe started visiting the Holy Land. Many of them, however, were robbed and killed as they crossed through Muslim-controlled territories during the journey. And so from there, around uh, 1180, like I said, 1100, uh, a French knight named Hughes de Payon created a military order to, along with eight relatives and acquaintances, calling, in, calling it the Poor Fellow Soldiers of Christ and the Temple of Solomon later known simply as the Knights Templar. Funny enough, the Temple of Sol Solomon is the temple that was given to them by Baldwin II in Jerusalem. At the top, uh, I think at the time of the groups forming, they agreed with Baldwin that they would protect the, the pilgrims traveling to Jerusalem and that um, they needed a, you know, a base somewhere to you know, hold the, the group together and to, to meet. And he gave them the temple, which would be known as the Temple of Solomon, which was therefore become the Knights Templar. And from there, we start to see the rise of the Templars. The Templars themselves were, you know, as you can see there, originally formed out of, you know, really quite, I don't want to say, I don't, I don't want to say they were sort of purely good because, you know, every group as they grow larger has less control over the message that they have. And history doesn't look well on the Templars because the Catholic Church had a, such control over history. And that sort of repeats the idea I said earlier where the victors control how history is written. The Catholic Church had control over history for such a long time because of its power, not just through religion, but physical structural power through the amount of churches it had, the amount of people in its organization, the amount of money and resources it was provided by the people who were much poorer off than them. The whole organization was just a powerhouse. Uh, and even with the Roman Empire gone, it would continue to control people through the use of the word of God. Uh, and so that's quite a, it's quite an important point because we'll see within the Templars how quickly the, they can go from being their best, their, the favorites of the Catholic church to being cast out. And it's interesting to say that. 
So the first headquarters, the Knights Templar, on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the Crusaders called it the Temple of Solomon from the location derived the name Templar. Initially, the Knights Templar faced criticism for some religious leaders, but in 1129, the group received the formal endorsement of the Catholic Church and support from Bernard of Clavier, a prominent French abbot. In, I'm just going to pause it there for a second. It's very interesting to know that a French abbot bolstered and backed the Templars themselves because it's actually France, the country who would be a haven for the Templars for a long time, would actually end up destroying the group itself. Spoilers, I know, but you know it's 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 a very important point to to see at the beginning. The Catholic Church, French, a, a French abbot backing them, a singular, you know, a group, an organization, and a singular power person within a Western European country. It all starts from there, and I, you know, quite strangely, it ends in a very similar way. So, in eleven thirty nine, Pope. Uh, Innocent, nice name, the second. So two people thought they were innocent in time. Wait, <laughs> not in the Catholic Church. There's no one innocent, innocent in there, and I'm not getting into that. Issued a papal bull that allowed the Templars special rights. Among them, the Templars were exempt from paying taxes, permitted to build their own uh, oratories. I don't know if I've said that right, by the way. And uh, I'm guessing that means religious buildings uh, and temples. Uh, and had and had to oh oh and were held to no one's authority except the popes. So you see what I mean here. There's a real link between the Catholic Church and the Templars, and it's fascinating to see that this you know this group were created purely out of the the sort of they weren't linked to the Catholic Church. They were there as a religious group who were trying to help pilgrims uh, and trying to help those try to get into the Holy Land without being robbed or killed. And I think it's important to keep this in mind because, you know, it, it's almost altruistic, their start. They, these original members were thinking to themselves that, hmm, you know, it's not, you know, they're, they're not doing this for money or wealth or the ability to control finance within the western european parts of the world as well as in the holy land so yeah let's get into the peak the peak of the knights templar which is you know there's there's a great amount of it even though they're you know a couple of hundred years or so give or take isn't a long period of time for a group but within these times as i said earlier it's it's quite impressive to be able to hold this so one of the things that truly really you know caught my eye when I saw the information about them is that 90% of the Templars group at their peak of their power were not knights. They were not fighting body. 90%, 90% of them were actually basically paperwork guys. They did the banking side of things. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, Chris, what do you mean banking? This isn't, you know, this is a group of knights who were protecting pilgrims on the road. There's, there's no banking behind that. Well, the Templars actually became a group of people where the 
crusaders across time would would give them their land money any sort of special resource or something of value to be held in an account in a bank to be held over time and they would be paid and they would also create checks you know the idea to take money from one place in europe and be able to cash that same money uh, that they provided the bank in uh, the holy land for instance by going through the templars i mean at the time this is beyond technology this is beyond the system itself and the reliability of the templars but who are backed by the catholic church which is known throughout europe and can be used as a sort of backing uh, or or you know safe bet a almost like we, how we well i say we trust the banks now we don't really trust it's, it's more of a double-edged sword isn't it really we have no other choice um and it could have been the same way there we they had the catholic church banking just like we have countries banking nowadays where they back are backed by the governments the catholic church were basically a government in their own right you know they they were that powerful and so we go in here so as i said Non-combatant members of the order who made up as much as 90% of their members manage a large economic infrastructure throughout Christendom, developing innovative financial techniques that were an early form of banking, building its own network of nearly a thousand common dairies and fortifications across Europe and the Holy Land, and arguably farming the world's first uh, multinational corporation. <laughs> how crazy is that that's that's chaos in itself that's madness the idea that in the 11 and 1200s you had basically one of the first ever corporations the knights templar were microsoft before microsoft you know what i mean like the ability i'm i shouldn't that's, they're not a banking business more you know Lloyd's or HSBC or, or anyone like that who, who, who are big banking groups they had that power and they had the ability to to use that and so it's fascinating to see that that a group that wasn't necessarily created for this manner became such a international powerhouse in its ability to control resource through the credibility of the catholic church and through their ability to cover christendom and the holy land okay so we've talked about finances well let's talk about a little bit of the actual fighting you know like chris we've been talking about financial infrastructures it's boring we want to talk about some killing or something like that you're right guys you're right you're right um one of the greatest victories and i've got it here in my notes is um yes one one of the most famous victories was in 1177 during the battle of mont gisera <laughs> i can't say that mont mont Gisord, where 500 templars helped several thousand infantry defeat Saladin's army of more than 26,000 soldiers. A French translated quote of the time said, a Templar knight is truly a fearless knight and secure on every side, for his soul is protected by the armor of faith, just as his body is protected by the armor of steel. He is doubly armored and in need of neither demon nor man. 
wow, it's just like that's said by Bernard de Clavo, Claravo. You have to bear with me, guys, with this. It's uh, yeah, it's absolutely stunning to see that they were so well organized, so well trained. So even though only ten percent of the organization were fighting men, that ten percent were just dominant in their ability to take on other armies and be able to take on other um, sort of regions and factions within the Holy Land. Uh, and we don't know many stories. I can give you an overview, a little taster of what the knights are. But the truth is behind this is that we don't know enough. We don't know. We can't thoroughly confirm that these resources are reliable because of the time period. You know, there's no written proper records at the time. I, I'm pretty sure that at some point in history, the, either the Catholic Church or the church in itself called it blasphemous to write words down because it was the devil's work. <laughs> so you see how stuff can be said in the name of God and not necessarily sort of uh, back the idea, even though the Bible was written. So, you know, strange. A nobleman who was interested in participating in the Crusades might place all his assets under Templar management while he was away. Accumulating wealth in this manner throughout Christendom and the outer outer reaches of the Holy Land in, in, the, in the order of 1150 began generating letters of credit for the pilgrims journeying to the Holy Land. Pilgrims deposited their valuables with a local Templar president before embarking, received a document indicating the value of their deposit, then used that document upon arrival in the Holy Land to retrieve their funds in the amount of a treasury equivalent value. Like I said, amazing. So cool. And that's 1150. 11.50 and you have checks. It's just, I mean, nowadays you don't even need to do that. You just have a bank transfer and you're any, you know, anywhere in the world and you get there, you know, through uh, electricity and through computers and through ones and zeros on a computer. And I, bingo, you're there. But then, you know, you have to think about it. That, that, those valuables, right? Normally you'd be, you had to physically trade valuables, horses, gems of kind, physical valuables to be able to get food, get water, get any sort of armor or anything like that in any place across Europe and middle, the Middle East. The ability for a group, an organization or a corporation, as they as my notes have put there, is outstanding. How they've been able to fundamentally change the way, you know, trade is done there. It's quite... I would say the the groups, the bigger groups like the Catholic Church and nations would be worried. Think about the power that's occurred through financially occurring people's sort of valuables. It gives them some sort of power over others and it builds up through the interest that they gain because people holding on, that they're holding on to the value of the of the valuables. And from there, they're able to mount up and 
build the organization further and more people want to join and wanted to join the templars because of their mission because of the altruism behind fighting for on behalf of god because they had the red cross across their um, armor and the white background it was very holy it was a religious group and so you were able to have this corporation this this group organization which had this religious sort of backing that showed that it was beyond man and it was in the name of god and so but what they were really doing was was cold calculated and making them a lot of money <laughs> so it's you know this is why i imagine their fall would be imminent because at that time you look at that group and they would be a threat a threat to so many people and although in most um sort of depictions of them assassin's creed as i've said before within kingdom of heaven within a lot of the tales that we see we see the templars are the bad guys and we see them as the guys who control through power and manipulation and murder and it's quite interesting to think of them in a different way rather than as murderers or even seeking the holy land as merely just a business you know i love that phrase from parts of the caribbean it's it's just good business and he's like walking into chaos it's the same thing isn't it it's there's there's no it's gone from altruism protecting people to cashing checks across from from western europe all the way to the holy land crazy so this was an in an innovative arrangement which was an early form of banking and may have been the first formal system to support the use of checks like i said based on this mix of donations and business dealings the templars established established financial networks across the whole of christendom they acquired large tracts of land both in europe and in the middle east they bought and managed forms of vineyards they built massive stone cathedrals and castles. They were involved in manufacturing, import and export. They had their own fleet of ships. And at one point, they even owned an, the entire island of Cyprus. The Order of the Knights Templar arguably qualify as the world's first multinational corporation. As I've said twice now, multinational corporation in the 1100s to 1200s. How crazy is that? The audacity and the just outrageous sort of... Back then, if you thought that you were um, above or if you thought of an idea that was going to be, you know, beyond reason or beyond the system, it's it, you were cast out, you were killed, you were, you were a leper, basically, and the idea of uh, Christ and you know during that period of time any ideas that weren't within monarchies or within government control or within christendom it was just thrown aside and you were you were classed as as the uh well the devil as as they did to the muslims you know because they had different ideas they believed in a different um bible of sort and they also believed in different rules and ways of life and that scared people and, you know, looking at difference is always, it's always hard for people to deal with. So I've given you a nice overview there of, of the, some of the things as well as some of the events that how, you know, at their peak of their power, what did they want? What were they able to do? 
So let's look into the fall of the Knights Templar, which is also just as fascinating. So the order was active until 1312, uh, which was then suppressed by Pope Clement, uh, by Bulvox, and I can't even read the last bit, they're Exilus. Pope Clement V, right? We see the f Pope Innocent II being the creator, the, the audacitor, the, the print, you know, he put his stamp on the Templars and said, these guys only answer to me. And it was then also another Pope who would therefore say that the Templars were no longer under protection of the Pope and they would answer to others. It's, as I said, it's a circle in itself because it comes, it starts where it ends and it begins where it, you know, it ends where it begins and begins where it ends. Fascinating. In 1305, the new Pope Clement V, based in Avignon, France, again, France, we said this before, sent letters to both the Templar Grandmaster Jacques de Molay and the Hospitaller Grandmaster Luc de Villoray to discuss the possibility of merging the two orders. Neither was um, amenable, so they weren't cool to the idea, uh, but Pope Clement persisted, and in 1306 he invited both grandmasters to France to discuss the matter. From there, when they were, when they met in France, uh, when they eventually got to France, because the hospitaler, hospitaler leader didn't get to France until I think it was seven months after um, the Grand Master of the Templars. And in that period of time, there were inquiries into the Templars, looking into their sort of interactions with both France, with both citizens and lords. And the idea was that you know, the Catholic Church, they weren't, they weren't okay. You know, originally the Pope you know, it says in here that the uh, allegations were there was no charges, there was nothing um, shown by the there was no evidence. But with King Philip's backing, who, you know, quite slyly he owed the Templars a lot of money. He looked to destroy them because by destroying them, he was able to get rid of his own uh, sort of debt to them. And it's like that idea: like we all owe the bank something. If there's no bank, there's no debt. It's exactly that. So King Philip, who was already deeply in debt to the Templars from his war against England, decided to seize upon the rumours of their purposes. He began pressuring the church to take action against the order as a way of freeing himself from his debt. The arrest warrant uh, as, and started with the phrase, God is not pleased. We have enemies of faith in the kingdom. See the idea that the, the Templars were rotten from the inside. There was something wrong. They were called devil worshippers. They were given names that they were unholy, that they were sodomites, that they were uh, fostering homosexuality within their group. They were everything that they could possibly throw at them at the time was labelled to them. And so there was a, I believe there was a mass uh, sort of like, execution of Templars over time. Uh, but let's let's read on. So claims were made during the uh, Templar admission ceremony. Recruits were forced to spit on the cross, deny Christ 
engage in indecent kissing. Brethren, uh, brethren were also accused of worshipping idols, and the order was said to have encouraged homosexual practices. These allegations, though, were highly politicised without any real evidence. Exactly. And so on Friday the 13th, again, there's actually some debate on whether Friday the 13th came from this. 1307, scores of French Templars were arrested, including the Order's Grandmaster, Jacques de Molay. Many of the knights were brutally tortured until they confessed to false charges, including heresy, homosexuality, financial corruption, devil worshipping, fraud, spitting on crosses, and much, much more. You see what I mean here? The French king, as we said, that France, a, rep a, a abbot in France, and the ch Catholic Church created the power that the Templars would use from a small amount to creating the multinational organization that they became. And then the French king and the Catholic Church took that away from them. Like that. And it's all over. The party's over. This era of financial control and the ability to move back, back and forth fluidly through Europe and through the Holy Land is no longer the Templars' domain anyway. A few years later, dozens of Templars were burned at the stake in Paris for their confessions. De Molay was executed in 1314. Under pressure from King Philip, Pope uh, V reluctantly dissolved the Templars in 1312. The group's property and monetary assets were given to a rival order, the Knights Hospital. Ah, you see what I hear? The Hospitallers were a more religious group and more dedicated to the Catholic Church, which makes sense. Um, however, it's thought that King Philip and Edward II of England seized most of the Knights Templars' wealth. Again, just political gains here from both sides, the French, the English. And I imagine both kings owed a lot of money to the Templars at the time. You know, it's just that King Philip was, the, you know, the, the one to have been known to have been in debt to these, uh, to this organization. And so still the Templars were charged with numerous other offenses such as financial corruption. Yeah, we said this. Many of the accused confessed to these charges under torture. The prisoners were coerced, yeah. And we said that as well. Um, and the Templars were accused of idling. Yeah. And the headquarters at the Temple Mount were theorized to have been, <laughs> oh my goodness, mummified remains of John the Baptist among the things that within, were found within the, the headquarters of the Templars. That's amazing. So originally, this group of men who were altruistically trying to protect the pilgrims going to and from the Holy Land become a corporation, an organization. I imagine at the beginning, it was just purely as an organization to be able to go to and from the Holy Land, to be able to protect in the name of God, to serve the, the Catholic Church later on as well. But gradually, surely, its power gets out of control 
and kings and popes join forces to destroy the organization that could have potentially gone on to become something bigger than a nation if allowed to. So what happened to the Templars today? Well, as I've said, the Templars have a very mixed report across books, video games, films. It's all over the place. What we do know is that the Catholic Church have sort of put on record that the accusations of the Templars were false. So there is something really, really interesting about that is the sense that if we talk to the Catholic Church now is the Templars weren't in the wrong and that they probably just coerced the by the kings, by those who had some sort of way to benefit from the Templars being destroyed. Um, there's some people nowadays who think that the Templars still exist through shadows. And um, I think, um, you know, there's even shadow groups nowadays that I think it's, I think I've got it written down here, actually, that the um, Templars were the Masons. That's it. They, the, yeah, yeah, the Masons, they're, they're thought to um, have, have been absorbed into this group um where, where they still have this religious sort of encircling and that power is still there and that there's still financial assets in the group and that there's still people pulling the puppetary strings of the world going on however i don't think that's the case and i don't think that's um possible with today's sort of social media and with cameras and the ability of people not to be able to shut their mouths <laughs> and let's be honest after five minutes everybody's got a damn story to tell so the catholic church has acknowledged that the prosecution of the knights templars was unjustified the church claims that pope clement was pressured by secular rulers to destroy the order yep while most historians agree that the Knights Templar fully disbanded 700 years ago, there are some people who believe that the order was underground and remain in existence in some form to this day. In the 18th century, some groups, most notably the Freemasons, as I said, Masons, revived several of the med med uh, medieval knights' symbols, rituals, and traditions. Currently, there are several international organizations styled after the Knights Templar, uh, that the public can join. These groups have representatives around the world and aim to up, uh, uphold the values and traditions of the original medieval order. Throughout the years, various tales have surfaced about the knight's mysterious work. More recently, stories about legendary Templars have found their way into popular books and movies. As I've said. So, all of that I've just, you know, I've, I've just, I've thrown information at you guys, and I hope some of it sticks. The Templars went from eight people, to be specifically, of family and friends and acquaintances, to a multinational banking group who are backed by the Catholic Church, who trade all over the world, who have ports, a whole fleet of ships, have... Uh, you know they own land and they own structures all over Europe and the and all of Christendom. G 
go from the highest point of battling in the name of Christ and the church and fighting besides France, England and many other nations within uh, and tribes and groups within Europe uh, in the Holy Land against Saladin and the Muslim people. But then fall through the same way they rose. The French king and the Catholic Church demonized the group. And as the Catholic Church have stated, unlawfully and quite untruly label them devil worshippers, homosexuals and sodomites and all, all of the, all, you know, everything that you could possibly throw at somebody to get them executed or hung at the time. And so we see the rise and fall of the, the Templars in a quite a short period of time. I've condensed a lot of information here. There's so much out there to talk about. And I'm going to continue to do these history series where we jump into some history, we grab onto it, write it, and we try and find as much as we can within that short period of time uh, and digest it and hopefully learn something. Because I didn't know about half of these things about, you know, at the end of the day and after doing some research, it's, it's fascinating to see this group become quite, uh, you know, going from just from my point of view, going from a group of knights who fought in the holy land uh to gain land and do things for glory and for <laughs> god wills it uh to a you know a financial main mania main mania sort of organization and uh to, to to this moment just be blown away by the amount of influence they had over the uh countries at the time and so I think we'll end it there. I'm going to continue doing these series. We've done Russia. We've done uh, Japan. We've done the Crusades. And who knows what we'll be doing next. If you've got any suggestions, ping them my way. Any comments, anything you want to, to see next. Um, and uh, yeah, until next time, this has been a Taylor's Tales podcast. This has been Chris's Corner. I'm your host, Chris Taylor. And as always, thank you so much for listening.